Good morning. One person said good morning back. Thank you, Debbie, my mother-in-law. Thank you. Good morning. I am excited to be here with you guys today. I'm excited to hear the Word of God and have that speak to us today. I'm excited to hear what the praise band has for us and how they're going to lead us into His presence. And I, I just cannot wait for that. And I hope you're excited for that as well and looking forward to that as well. All right, a couple announcements. We're going to have the mask talk today. Yes, the great mask talk. Are we, are we tired of talking about the mask? Uh, we'll talk, we're going to talk about that here for a minute. I want to remind you, though, hey, we are in the search for a pastor, right? Church board is praying about it, and we're going to... We're going, to pray for, we're going to pray for God's direction, right? And what God's will. So um, we're going to join them in that prayer. We're going to lift them up for wisdom, and we're going to do that. I have an exciting announcement for you guys for next week about something that's going on in the church. I can't tell you about it because i got to talk to the church board first. Um, that's going to be Tuesday. So, But we're going to have a really exciting announcement for that as well. Uh, we also want to pray for Pastor Brad. And the Stacys in their new church assignment, they're starting out. We want to lift them up, right, and give God praise for, for, for that direction. Um, and um, I'm going to be talking today about a tool that the church has kind of forgotten about and that we've kind of forgotten about, and it is a big gun when it comes to prayer. And I'm excited to share this because we're in some crazy times right now, Right? And we need to bring out the big guns. Um, and we have quite a few occasions for that. I've been getting calls and people talking to me about things that are going on in their lives right now. And that kind of led me in this direction for today. I wanted to go into spiritual gifts and the body of Christ and what that means. And God took, us, took me on a detour this week. So I want to go over this and, and share something with you. But um, we were in a series called The Branch Life. And my question for you this morning is, are you growing in your connection? Are you doing the things that stir your heart towards him? If you missed that sermon series, go on YouTube and watch that. Um, and, and pray to the Holy Spirit and ask him, you know, am I growing closer to him? Because that is the base of anything that we're going to do in this church. That is the base that has to be in place. And if you are not growing closer, then it's not going to work. Right? We all need to be in this together, moving in the same direction for God to use us to impact our community and the world. So that's what's available, and that's what we need to do. I want to invite you to invite somebody to church. Right, Invite somebody to church in the coming weeks and invite them on this journey that we're, we're on. Um, all right. The mask talk. Right now, Willard's at a red. Where our zip code is at a red. I would tell you I have lots of talks in my job with the health commissioner, and this is mostly due to what's going on at Willows and all the cases there. So we want to lift up Willows, right? Um, but at the same time, we're red. Good reminder that we probably need to be wearing the mask and doing a little bit better job. I'm sure we all have different ideas about the mask and different things. Here's what we're not going to do. We're not going to let the mask issue divide us as a church. Right? We're not going to let it become a stumbling block that we start getting in fights with each other and everything like that. So what I'm asking you, this is me, what I'm asking you is while you're in those places,
public gathering areas and you're talking to people, either put on a mask or just distance yourself, right? Get six feet of distance and talk to people, all right? Let's, let's try to do that and let's try to be careful. While you're sitting next to your family, we've got you spread out enough you can take your mask off if you want to. If you want to leave your mask on, do it. I, I was moving, we were moving the cross this morning, putting it back up on the stage, and it got sweaty, and I put the mask on, and I couldn't function. You know, it was like, oh my gosh, I need to get this thing off. Um, so I know sometimes it's a, a real pain in the butt and everything like that, but um, let's do this for each other. Let's not let this become a stumbling block, and um, let's go from there, all right? If you've got a problem with that, you come talk to me, bring scripture with you for that because that's what i'm going to be looking at um i was just reading i was also thinking about doing the sermon on the mountain the upside down kingdom because that's something that's important to us and there's this part in there it says that you know if you're asked to walk one mile walk two miles and if you know what that's about a soldier in the roman army remember the the jewish people were under occupation they were under the roman army they didn't want those roman people in there and a soldier could come up and ask you to carry his stuff for a mile and Jesus says, hey, if they ask you to do it for a mile, do it for two miles. And could you imagine walking and doing something extra for your enemy? You know, ugh, that, that gets me. I wouldn't want to do that, you know. But that's what we're called to do as followers of Christ. So um, that's what we're going to do. We're going to serve. We're going to sacrifice for others. Because that's what we're all about. All right? Would you stand with me? Are you ready? Are you preparing your heart? I had somebody share with me, Sharon Seabolt, one of our sisters, went through surgery. She is in a lot of pain, so we're going to lift her up. Um, one of the people that I work with who did a lot of runs for Willows ended up getting, we had two, two guys in our fire and EMT that got COVID. One is in St. V's right now and on a ventilator. So um, I'm going to ask you to lift this person up. We're not going to mention names or anything like that. But I, I actually sent a notice out to all the churches, and I said, would you lift this person out? Would you lift up what's going on in our community when you pray about that? So that's what we're going to be praying about today. Um, I'm sure you have things that are heavy on your heart right now. You want to share something? Okay, yeah, we'll lift him up. You know, there might be some things that you have on your hearts that you can't share today. Um, God knows what those things are. We're going to go to him in prayer, and I would encourage you to go and lay those things down at his feet. We do everything that we can, right? And whatever's out of our control, we lay down at his feet and ask for his intervention, ask him to touch that person or touch that marriage or touch that thing that we're dealing with, right? And that's what we're going to do collectively right now. But I also want us to be able to turn our attention and put our focus in on the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, right? Because with him, all things are possible. He knows what's going on. He knows exactly what you're dealing with. He knows the pressure that you're under. He knows the hardship that you're wondering, what, what in the world, why is this happening to me? He knows right? He knows because he lived this life, and he's watching over us, and he loves you. So be reminded of that. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for today. Thank you for this opportunity to corporately 
come together and worship you and give you all praise. And Father, I pray that no matter what's being sung or if we like the music or if we don't like the music or if the music goes off or the music is just amazing, Father, we pray that we would just sing and give you everything. Give you our attention, give you our focus, give you our praise, give you our worship. Lord, you're the one who left heaven and came down to this earth. Why? So that you could make a way so that our relationship with you could be restored. And Father, we give you all praise and honor for that. We know what you endured while you were here. We know what you did. Father, and we say thank you. Lord, I pray for our brothers and sisters who are, who are dealing with some health situations. Lord, would you touch them? Would you comfort them? Would you give them the strength, Lord, to deal with what they're dealing with? Or Father, would you just take these things away? from them and heal them right now. Father, I pray for the relationship issues, maybe with a marriage, maybe with a friendship, maybe with a son or a daughter, or maybe with a mom or a dad. Father, would you touch these issues, Lord, and, and bring your healing to them. Father, there's a lot of political things and, and uh, mask ideas and things that we we're frustrated with and can't stand and we're all I'm sure about done with this stuff but father would you just help us to be unified in everything help us to do the things that bring you glory and act in that manner lord do not let us be divided father and father I pray for the next pastor whoever that is lord would you leave the church board in that direction would you make it painfully obvious would you just, um, we just want your will to be done in that, Lord. Father, once again, we love you and give you all praise. In your name we pray, amen. Great is your faithfulness, O oh God. You wrestle with the sinner's restless heart. You lead us by still waters into mercy. And nothing can keep us apart. So remember your cheerful, remember your children. Remember your children, remember.
be seated. Hmm. Do you know the story behind that song? Horatio Spafford, he a uh, wealthy man, big family, nice family, and he ended up losing a, a good portion of his wealth, and he lost his family, um, his kids. They, uh, a boat sank in the Atlantic Ocean, and um, he was traveling himself afterwards sometime after that and the captain told him that hey this is a spot that it that it happened and that's when he wrote that song and it's been adapted but you are not promised roses in this life if you if you hear a christian tell you that that is a lie what you are promised though is that you do have a savior who does care about you who does know what you're going through and this life is not it Right? This life is not it. I had a brother who I haven't talked to in a long time reach out to me and he said, Man, I'm really having trouble with the passing of of this person is actually Pastor Doc. Still feeling it, still hurts and everything and and uh can we be reminded that this is not it? We'll see him one day again and we'll be reunited, right? And we can give him praise. Hmm. All right. Let's just pray. Father, I just thank you for today. Lord, pray that you would speak through your word and would we would hear nothing but what you have for us, Holy Spirit. Come, have your way. We give you right of way. We ask that you would just speak to our hearts. You would, you would soften our hearts and make them pliable and that we would apply what we hear and that we would look more like you through it all. Lord, I, I didn't specifically mention that EMT during the first prayer. Can, can we just lift him up? He's struggling. Father, we pray that you would just touch him and heal him and give him the strength to get through this, Lord. And I pray for, pray for anybody in our community that is struggling with this as well, for the same thing, Lord. We entrust them to you. Lord, we just give you all praise. In your name we pray. Amen. All right. How many of you got a, a real Bible? Competition time. All right, I'm going to give you a passage, and the first person that turns to it, all right, um, you're going to win. And the prize is that you get front row seats <laughs> to the sermon, all right? So you ready? <laughs> no, nobody wants that, right? You guys are just kind of weird, man. You just, you like the front row. Normally people avoid it. Uh, but we're going to be in the book of Esther today, book of Esther. If you don't know where Esther is... Find Psalms, right before that is Job, and then right before that is Esther, and if you're not careful, you'll, you'll flip right past it. So we're going to be in Esther, we're going to do the whole thing today. Esther, this is, people say that um, the Bible is hard to read and everything like that, and I totally get that and understand that, but there is a lot of stuff that is not hard to read, and there are a lot of awesome stories in the Old Testament that you can read through. You can read through the, Esther, the book of Esther in 20 minutes, 
and it will impact your life. You can read through about the story of David and Goliath, and you're going to understand that, right? And God's going to reveal things to you. Give it a chance. Don't give up. I know we're encouraging you to get in the Word and to read, and it may seem hard. Don't give up. Let the Holy Spirit speak to you. The Gospels, they're easier to understand, and there's a lot of stuff, a lot of weird stuff in the Old Testament that's hard to understand, but there's also a lot of stuff that's easier to understand. So just find that. All right? So we're going to be in Esther, though. Esther. Um, Esther is a pretty interesting book, pretty, pretty interesting in the fact that you will not find any mention of God in it. Zero. There is no mention of God in this book. But I think as we go through this, you will see that God is clearly at work and clearly there. All right? Now, um, before we start, I want to introduce the five main characters. Maybe you already know this story, so this will just be a, a brush up. Maybe you don't know this story, and this is the first time that you're hearing the story of Esther. But first up, we've got Xerxes. You history buffs that remember when the 300 Spartans and the other Greeks took on um, the Persians at the Battle of Thermopylae. This is who we're talking about. This is the king of the Persian army. This, there were 300 Spartans and a few thousand Greeks, and they took on the lowest account I've seen is 60,000 people. The highest account I've seen is, is hundreds of thousands of, of Persians, and they held their ground. But, but this is that same King Xerxes um, that we're going to read about. He, and this story takes place in the Persian Empire. The Jewish people had been captured by King Nebuchadnezzar, and some of them were freed. Later on, some of them were freed and allowed to t- return to the war-torn Jerusalem to, to rebuild that. And some people said, no, I don't want to do that. I'm comfortable where I'm at, and we're just going to stay here. So we're going to be looking at the Jews that stayed in Persia. All right, There's two queens. There's Queen Vashti, that's the current queen, and then Esther, who would take Queen Vashti's place. And I guess I just gave a little little bit of the story away. I guess, spoiler alert. There's also a villain, and his name is Haman. Haman, uh, he's the big villain. He's the the king's chief advisor. And then finally, we have Esther's cousin, Mordecai. And we'll learn more about him. Now, King Xerxes' kingdom was vast. It stretched all the way from the Mediterranean Sea to India. This was a huge 127 provinces, I think you can read there. And during the third year of his reign, he threw a party. And this was not just any party. This was a huge party. This party was to try and impress people and try to gather his subjects to a war that he was planning against the Greeks. So he's trying to show off his wealth, impress people, and get them confident to join him in this upcoming battle. Now here's the thing. This party lasted 180 days. Six months. And I'm sure they they brought in people in and out, you know, and they probably didn't stay there for 180 days. But this was was quite the big party. And we're going to start in Esther 1.10. Esther chapter 1, verse 10. This is when the 180 days ended. He threw another banquet. All right, so the first party that lasted was mostly for the officials and and military leaders and people like that. But then he throws a party, this time for everyone in this capital city or in the city that they're in, and it lasts seven days. So Esther 1.10, on the seventh day, which is really the 187th day, when King Xerxes was high in spirits from wine, 
Um, like I said, some people have trouble understanding the Bible. You would translate that. He was drunk. All right. He commanded the seven eunuchs who served him to bring before him Queen Vashti wearing her royal crown. Now, some people, some commentaries say that they ask, he was asking Queen Vashti to come just wearing the crown and nothing else to kind of show her off. I think more probably realistic, he was asking her to come with her face uncovered with a crown on her head. But look what happens, verse 11, in order to display her beauty to the people and nobles, for she was lovely to look at. But when the attendants delivered the king's command, Queen Vashti refused to come. Then the king became furious and burned with anger. I think one of the people that we need to recognize in this story is Queen Vashti. She never gets any, any um, notice. But this, this woman had convictions. Married women in this time were supposed to keep covered around, around other men and kind of only reveal their face and everything to their husbands. So what her husband was asking her to do was not right. All right, and she stood her ground, and she risked that. Um, she risked his wrath. This guy was not a nice guy. King Xerxes had people put to death left and right in his courts and other areas. So this is what she was taking. But she stood her ground, and she held her convictions. Now, because of that, all right, his advisors are like, "Oh man, we need to do something because uh, your wife did that. Now everybody else's wife is going to feel free to." ignore their husbands and their commands and everything, and they're just going to do what they want. So you've got to do something right now. All Persia is watching you. You better set things right, okay? So he issues a royal decree. A royal decree in this day and age from this, from this Persian king was unchangeable. Whatever that decree was could not be taken back. It could not be repealed. It could not be changed. So he ends up banishing Vashti from his presence forever. Esther chapter 2, verse 1. Now, this is later. This is actually four years later in time. But after Xerxes' anger had subsided, he began thinking about Vashti and what she had done and the decree he had made. And I think he's probably regretting what he did. I don't think he was too happy. During these four years in history, he's been defeated twice by the Greeks. Tack on that, he banished his wife, right? And so he's probably a bit depressed. But never fear, his advisors come up with this awesome plan. Hey, let's have a beauty pageant and invite the 400 best-looking women from the land to come in, and we'll pick one to be your queen. Lucky women, right? Not so much. Esther 2.7. Mordecai had a cousin named Hadassah, whom he had brought up because she had neither father nor mother. She's an orphan, right? This young woman, who was also known as Esther, had a lovely figure and was beautiful. Mordecai had taken her as his own daughter when her father and mother died. So we meet Esther, or Hadassah is her Jewish name. Esther would be her Persian name. Mordecai has taken her in and raised her as one of his children. While this is going on, Esther catches the eye of some officials and she's brought in to be a part of this, this pageant. And as she's advancing, we learn something interesting in Esther 2.10. Esther had not revealed her nationality and family background because Mordecai had forget, forbidden her to do so. So, no one knows she's a Jew. 
Now, before Esther would go before the king, she would undergo this beauty treatment. Anyone here have a wife that takes a long time to get ready? Nobody want to admit that? Okay. Nobody's brave enough. All right, well, this beauty treatment lasted an entire year. So I think some of the women probably enjoy that. You know, nothing but beauty treatments for an entire year. So 12 months of getting ready, and she's finally ready to meet the king. Of course, she meets the king, and I've already told, told you that she becomes the queen. She's chosen out of all the women, all the women, to become his next queen. They get married, and he declares it a national holiday. All the while, remember, though, she has not told him that she's a Jew. That is not known. Now, soon after this in the Bible, it records a sing- seemingly insignificant event, kind of a side, and it involves Mordecai. Mordecai was constantly coming and checking up on Esther, so he'd come to the king's gate. While he's at the king's gate, he, hears, he overhears two palace guards, and they have this plan to kill Xerxes, the king. All right, so Mordecai sends a message to Queen Esther, says, hey, I overheard this. Let the king know what's going on. Esther brings that information to the king, Xerxes. He checks it out, corroborates it, finds out that it's true, and he has those people um, killed, uh, executed. But for some reason, Mordecai is not rewarded for this information. should have been done. But for some reason, it doesn't. You ever do something good and nobody acknowledges it, and you're, you're hoping to get that kind of pat on the back, or you feel like you're doing the right thing for God, and it's like God isn't rewarding you for that, and you just kind of get a little bit frustrated, um, don't let that jade you. Don't let that stop you. Do the right thing because it's the right thing, and entrust that to God, right? Now, in this culture, it was standard practice. If you did something like this, you would, you would get a big reward for that. Um, but like I said, for some reason, coincidence, for some reason, it doesn't happen. And just file that away, all right? Now, sometime after this, King Xerxes needs help administering the kingdom, and this is where the bad guy comes in. Uh, so he makes this man named Haman his chief advisor. He would be the second highest in the kingdom. If you remember Joseph with Pharaoh, this is it, all right? So this is the position that this man holds. As Xerxes' chief advisor, everyone is to bow down to him when he goes in their presence, wherever he goes. So everybody is bowing down to this guy except for one person. Mordecai would not bow down. Now, there's a couple reasons. Mordecai wouldn't bow, partly because he's Jewish and Jewish people only bow down to God. But the other reason, though, is Haman is a descendant of Agag. And Agag had been longtime enemies of the Jews. So there's some animosity there. And there's no way that Mordecai is going to bow down to this Haman guy. Of course, this sets Haman off. He's mad. You know, he gets infuriated over it. And he's so mad that he decides, hey, I'm going to have this Mordecai guy killed. But he doesn't want to just stop there. In Esther chapter 3, verse 6, it says, Yet having learned who Mordecai's people were, In other words, that he's Jewish. He scorned the idea of killing only Mordecai. Instead, Haman looked for a way to destroy all Mordecai's people, the Jews, throughout the whole kingdom of Xerxes. So, 
Haman devises a plan, and he takes it to King Xerxes. He's like, hey, I got this proposal for you. I'm going to give you a ton of money, a boatload of money. The Bible says 10,000 talents of silver. That's $161 million that he's offering the king. And he says, I'll put it in the king's treasury if you just let me wipe out this one group of people that's in your empire. Um, they're people that are just different. Um, they don't follow your laws. They just don't belong here. Let me wipe them out. And it's interesting, though, he doesn't mention who those people were to the king. Well, the king goes along with his chief advisor and says, if you really think they need to be wiped out, then go ahead and just keep your money. I don't need it. So Haman casts lots, casts lots in a biblical time. They would either draw sticks or they would roll sheep knuckles. Um, it'd be kind of similar to us rolling the dice. It was a random way to, to pick something and you were trusting in divine intervention to come up with that. So he casts lots and come up with this extermination day. All right. And he, and he goes one step further. He gets the decree from the king, puts the king's seal on it, meaning that this law cannot be changed. There is nothing that can change this decree. And he sends it out to everybody all throughout the kingdom. Now, put yourself in the Jewish people's place. A law comes out stating that you're going to be annihilated, you're going to be killed. What are you thinking? What would be going through your head? I'm sure it's we're doomed. I'm sure it's why is God allowing this to happen? Um, or maybe you're just wondering, where is God, right? We said when we started that in this book, God is not mentioned anywhere. Where is God? And I want you to learn, though, that just because we don't see God, he's there and he's working behind the scenes. What's going on in your life right now? You might not see him, you might not understand it, but God is not a God who abandons his people. He's there. He sees. He's working. Hebrews 13.5 says, Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. He's there. No matter what it looks like to you, He's there. Esther 3.13-15 This shows you just the hatred that Haman had. Dispatches were sent by couriers to all the king's provinces with the order to destroy, kill, and annihilate all the Jews. That's what's going on. The 13th day of the 12th month, the month of Adar, that is the day that the Jewish people are going to be wiped out and plundered. Next verse, And the king and Haman sat down to drink, but the city of Susa was bewildered. What do you do, right? We talked about this. What do you do when life is completely turned upside down and there does not seem to be any hope. There's nothing that can change this decree. This decree is in place. There's nothing that can change it. What's going to happen? The king just couldn't say, whoops, I made a mistake and take it back. Well, Mordecai hears about this plan and sees the, the notice before Esther hears about it, and he begins to wear sackcloth and goes into mourning. Esther hears about Mordecai and what's going on, and he sends, she sends one of her servants to find out what's, what's happening. And this guy talks with Mordecai, and Mordecai gives him a copy of the edict and brings it to Esther. 
Mordecai tells Esther, hey, you've got to go in and plead for mercy to the king. You've got to do that. And Esther sends back a message, and the Bible records, you, you don't understand, Mordecai, there's a problem, all right? I can't just go into the king. He has not summoned me for over 30 days. It's been a month since my husband's wanted to see me. And in case you've forgotten, if I show up in his presence and he doesn't extend a scepter towards me, signifying that it's okay for me to approach, that would have see me executed. You couldn't just go to the king and ask for an audience. Not with this particular king. To do so was to risk your life. Check out Mordecai's response. This is probably the most famous part of this whole entire book. Esther 4.13, he says, Do not think that because you are in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place, but you and your father's family will perish. And here's the line. And who knows but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. For such a time as this. Mordecai is saying, hey, this might be exactly why you rose from being an orphan to become queen. This is God's providence. He has orchestrated this. All to save his people. Esther is feeling the pressure Mordecai is telling her, now's the time, Esther. We need you. This is the moment. Esther has a choice to make. And I think we've all been in a similar position. Obviously, to varying, varying different degrees. But a moment where you felt like you need to speak out. Maybe it's against injustice. Maybe it's you need to witness to somebody and tell someone about Christ. Maybe it's you see them going down a path that they shouldn't be going, and you know, man, I need to talk to this person. And you have the choice, am I going to stand up against this wrong? Am I going to swallow my pride and go speak to somebody even though I'm scared to death of doing it? I think we all can relate to what Esther's feeling. In our day and age, it is very unpopular to stand for biblical values right? Probably scares you to just post something on Facebook about it because you know the backlash that will, will come. This is something that could, in our day and age could cost you your job. In some parts of the country, it could cost you your life. The question is, though, will you stand? Will you speak to that person? Man, how many of you know that it's even harder when it's a family member, Right? I hope I stand for God's word no matter what. I hope I do that. I hope I stand no matter what might cost me. I hope I put my faith and trust in him. And I hope I don't stand alone. Right? There's no accident that Esther was in this position at this time. She was there to use the influence God had given her to intercede for his people. She wasn't there to get a big wardrobe. She wasn't there to get some fancy jewelry. Just like we're not here to have fancy houses, nice cars, and things like that. That's not what it's about, right? We're here to be used by God. We're here to produce fruit. Spiritual fruit. The fruit that only comes from being connected to Him. 
So Esther's faced with the decision. What do you do when you're in a similar situation? Here's what she does. And this is the big gun that I was talking about that we need to learn as a church. And we need to be reminded of. You know this. All right. But we need to go back to doing this. Esther 4.16, she says, Go gather together all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my attendants will fast as you do. When this is done, I will go to the king, even though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. We don't talk about fasting very much in the church anymore. But fasting is a big gun, man. A big spiritual weapon. And it goes hand in hand with prayer. We talk about prayer a lot. We encourage people to pray and everything like that. But we need to, we need to include fasting with this. I read this and I thought, why aren't we doing this? We have a huge election coming up. Very important, right? Why aren't we fasting for the election? We're going to do that. We're, we're not only going to have a day of prayer right before it, but we're going to fast the weekend before that and lift God up. And we'll talk more about that in the coming weeks. I, I read this too, and I was like, why isn't our corporate prayer time more like this? Shouldn't it be us interceding for each other as we step out on faith in what God is calling us to do? Shouldn't we be lifting each other up? Man, I feel called to start this ministry. Would you pray and would you fast with me? Heck yeah, I will. Man, I am in bondage to something. Would you pray and fast with me? Man, this family member is on my heart. I want to reach out to them. I want to witness to them. Will you pray and fast with me? Man, the church asked me to be serve in this position. Will you pray and fast with me? Man, I don't know what I should be doing with my life. I don't have a clear direction from God. Would you pray and fast with me? This is what our prayer time should be like. Wouldn't it be awesome hearing those stories and having people stand up and say, man, I am totally scared to death to do this, but I feel like God is calling me to do this. But I need some brothers and sisters to come alongside me and pray with me and fast with me. Dead. Amen. Love how Esther goes to God with fasting. Like I said, it's something we don't do anymore. Can I give you some advice if you're faced with a big dilemma, a big problem right now, big decision to make? Hit it with a lot of prayer and fast. I'd like to see our church have regular times of fasting. Like I said, we're going to fast for this election, but at the same time, I'd like to fast for a whole lot more things that people are dealing with. So we'll look at that. People throughout the Bible did this. Jesus himself fasted and prayed. If he does it, we need to be doing it. When you, when you fast or when you skip a meal for a day or a few days or a week or even longer, you are declaring your dependence on God to sustain you. You are, you are removing something so that you can bring more focus and attention to him independence of him an extended fast is where i received my call to preach i was going through a discipleship class with pastor doc and my wife 
And he encouraged us all to fast to see what God's will was for our life. And in that time, God clearly spoke. If you're wondering what you should be doing, look at a fast. All right. Invite God into the process. Now, after all this time the Jews were fasting and praying, Esther takes a step of faith, right? And she goes uninvited to King Xerxes. She stands in the corridor right there in front of the king. This is the moment. Their eyes meet. And although she's uninvited, the Bible says he was pleased with her. And so he extends his royal scepter. And I imagine she just praised God in that moment because she knew that God was working. The king even asks her, what do you want? Up to half the kingdom I'll give to you. And Esther gives him a very simple request. She says, you know what? I'd love to have a banquet with you and Haman. She needs to get alone with, with both of them out of the temple court, out of the eyes of everybody. Just the three of us, let's do that tonight. And the king's like, done. We'll see you at dinner. Now, hang on, because the next 36-hour stretch, some amazing things are going to happen if you don't know this story. All right, at the banquet, I don't know if Esther gets scared. I don't know what happens. I don't know if the timing's just right and God kind of puts a, a hold on thing. Actually, I do because I know what happens. Um, but for some reason, she doesn't give the king her request. All right? But we see what God does in the meantime. Instead, when the king asks her what her request is, she's like, could you come back tomorrow with Haman and, and have another banquet? And at that time, I'll, I'll give you my request. And Haman's like, all for it. To, to eat with the king and the queen just did not happen. So he's all for it. And the king is like, yes, let's do that. But that night, Haman, when he goes home after the banquet, he sees Mordecai. And he's like, that darn Mordecai is not trembling before me, is not bowing for me. And the Bible says that he was furious. He was furious and he goes home and he tells his family, he starts bragging about being able to eat with the king and queen, but he's still furious and cannot let this thing go. He says, it doesn't mean anything to me. All these honors that I'm getting, it doesn't mean anything to me because that Mordecai is still around. So his family says, hey, why don't you build a, a 75-foot gallows and ask the king tomorrow to hang Mordecai on it. And Haman's like, man, that's a great idea. But that very night, God unfolds another part of his plan through insomnia. You ever have trouble sleeping? The king can't sleep, and so what he does is he says, hey, bring the records out and read them to me. They're kind of like board minutes, and if you know board minutes, they'll put you to sleep pretty fast, right? No offense, Carol. I think I just got the board minutes. In the process of reading... He just happens to come across a story. Coincidence? Hmm. It happened four years ago, and the attendant begins to read about this assassination plot to kill King Xerxes. So now instead of trying to fall asleep, he's wide awake. He's listening, right? And he's like, who is that guy that revealed that plot? What was his name? And they tell him that was Mordecai. And the king asks, what was done to honor that man? And the attendant looks at him and says, nothing, nothing yet. And the king's like, he will be tomorrow, right? 
So the next morning, this is going to be the day of the second banquet. Haman has already come early to the king's palace because he wants to ask for Mordecai's head. He wants to hang him. And the king says, who's here? Who can I talk to? And Haman's like, I'm here. So the king brings him in. And Xerxes says, hey, Haman, I got a question for you. What should the king do for somebody that he really wants to honor? And of course, what's Haman thinking? The Bible says, man, who else would the king want to honor but me? So he puts on his best humble face and he says, well, in verse 6 and 7, if I really wanted to honor somebody, O king, I would have them placed on top of a royal horse that belongs to the king. And then I would have that person robed with something that you have worn, O king. And then I would have one of your workers walk around and lead that horse throughout the entire city, shouting at the top of his lungs, this is what the king wants to do for the man in whom he is pleased. <laughs> I think God's got a sense of humor. King Xerxes thinks about it and he's like, that's a good idea. That sounds perfect. And I want you to do that for Mordecai the Jew. Oh my gosh, I'm sure his jaw just dropped. <laughs> and I'm sure he just started stuttering and he was like, oh, whoa, whoa, what's going on here? And the best part was, is, you know, the king tells Haman to be the one that leads him throughout the city and yell it. Yell it at the top of your lungs, Haman. <laughs> Do this. So that's what Haman does. You ever been humbled by God? Well, after he's done, of course, he runs home with his head covered in grief. The Bible says covered in grief. And he tells his family everything that's happening. As he's telling them this, the eunuchs come, the king's eunuchs' servants come and take him off to the banquet. At least he's got the banquet to look forward to, Right? So Esther and Xerxes are seated there. He comes in. Stage is set. The king once again asks Esther, what's your request? What do you want me to do? What do you want of me? And Esther 7.3, I think we read this story and we don't have a, great, a good grasp of how difficult this would be. Here is a young woman. All right, a young woman. And women did not have a whole lot of value. Even the queen back in this day. Haman would have been of higher value. He is second in the kingdom. Second. All right? And she's about to confront him. And notice she brings him there to confront him. This is huge. This is a, this is a step of faith. This would have been scary. This would have been quite the amazing thing. I mean, think about how Xerxes treated his previous wife. What's going to happen? And she says, if I have found favor with you, your majesty, and if it pleases you, grant me my life. This is my petition. Whoa, this, this got the king's attention, right? And spare my people. This is my request. For I and my people have been sold to be destroyed, killed, and annihilated. She uses the exact same words that Haman used. And I wonder if a little bell starts going off in, in Haman's head. She goes on, If we had merely been sold as male and female slaves, I would have just kept quiet because no such distress would justify disturbing the king. Then King Xerxes asked Queen Esther, Who is he 
Where is he, the man who has dared to do such a thing? And Esther says, an adversary, an enemy, this vile Haman. Then Haman was terrified before the king and queen. The king got up in a rage, left his wine. Apparently that was significant. I don't know why the biblical author records that. But he goes out into the palace garden. But Haman, realizing that the king had already decided his fate, stayed behind to beg Queen Esther for his life. After a short bit, Xerxes calms down and starts coming back inside. Now Haman knows the only person that can save him is, is the queen, and so he goes up to her, rushes over to her to beg for his life and ends up basically on top of her. So he's on Queen Esther just as the king comes in. And Ursi says, I cannot believe this, he says. Will he even molest the queen while she is with me in the house? Well, long story short, they cover Haman's face, which was just a way to tell them that he was going to die. Now, as this is going on, one of the king's eunuchs who got Haman, who went and got him, is in the room, and he's like, watching this as a transferred, and he's like, hey, um, king, I don't know if you know this, I uh, don't mean to interrupt, but at Haman's house, there just happens to be this 75-foot gallows there. Oh, and um, I heard, overheard him talking, this gallows is actually built to hang Mordecai on it. You remember Mordecai, the guy who saved your life, right? Yep, just sitting there. Sorry, not sorry. I think that's what kids say. And King Xerxes' anger burns, and he says, take him and have him hung on it. Well, if you read the rest of the story, the Jews are delivered, and everything turns out for them. Verse 8, 16, For the Jews it was a time of happiness and joy, gladness and honor. What are you going through? Do you... Are you struggling to see any hope for that situation? Is it totally beyond your control? Do you not see any way out? That's what they were faced with. And the God of the universe turns a hopeless time to a time of happiness and joy, gladness and honor. That's what our God can do with any situation. Would you stand with me? I want to leave you with three takeaways from this story. Number one, look for opportunities. Be aware that whatever position you're in, whatever situation you're in, look for the opportunities because there are no coincidences with God. Look for those opportunities. Don't shy away from them. Allow God to use them. If you have a position of influence, allow God to use that position of influence for his glory. Right? Number two, invite God into the process when life is completely turned upside down for you. When you don't see any hope. Remember the God that you serve. The God of the universe who spoke creation into existence. The God of the universe who's 
available and able to take a hopeless situation and turn it into a time of joy. Invite him into that situation. Can I tell you, invite your church brothers and sisters into that situation and allow us to stand with you. Number three, have the courage to stand and to speak up. Jesus says in Matthew 10.32, whoever acknowledges me before others, I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. The times are changing. It is very unpopular, I know, to be a follower of Christ. But now is not the time to back down. Now is not the time to sit down. Now is not the time to remain quiet. If God leads you in a direction, gives you something to say, stand up and say it. Do it with all the grace and love that's been shown to you by our Lord and Savior. But do it. Stand up. Right? I don't care how insignificant you think you are. Here's a a young woman, an orphan girl that God used to change everything. Don't sell yourself short. The Bible is filled with men and women who failed and failed and failed, and yet God used them to do amazing things. It's because it's all about him. It's all done through him. It's not done through you or me or our strength. But we've got to invite him. We've got to depend on him, right? Some of you might think of your life and look at it, and you might feel so defeated in your career, in your marriage, in a relationship, in your moral character, don't accept it. Invite God into the process and allow him to change it. Right? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for your word and your stories. Lord, your accounts of what you did. Father, would you remind us that you are still the same God today as you were back then. You still care about your people. You still see your people. Though we might not see it, though we might not understand it, though we might question it, you are faithful. And we give you all praise for that. Lord, we invite you into those situations that we're struggling with, into those situations that we're defeated, into those situations that there seems like there is no hope. Lord, we give them to you and we ask you to move lord into those areas where we've been placed would you help us to recognize that and to stand for you to be used by you give us the courage no matter what we're facing to be faithful to step out on faith lord and remind us that you are right there with us we're not facing it alone And help us as brothers and sisters to be right there in the midst of those things as well. Give us those opportunities. God, God, give us favor with the other people in here, with our community, that they know that they can reach out to this church, to the people in this church, because we are people that care and love them no matter what. Lord, we just love you and we give you all praise. In your name we pray. Amen. You are dismissed.